Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today, the first program in 2019. And by the way, let me be maybe the hundredth person to tell you Happy New Year. So glad you could join us. I'm in temporary studios right here in San Antonio, Texas. We're on our way to a place called Alamo, Texas. It is on the U.S.-Mexican border. There's a big Bible conference. I'm going to be the speaker this week. We'll be there all day Sunday and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday nights. So if you're in that broadcast area, I'd love to have you come and study the prophetic word of God with us. We're kicking off our new year of ministry here in Texas. Came into San Antonio so we could have a couple of days with our oldest son and his family, his wife Jill, and the girls, Haley and Abby. And we've had a good time visiting with them. So glad to always have an opportunity to be with family. Now, we've got a program lined up for you. We're going to go first to Ken Timmerman. He's the man who covers the geopolitical activities for us, and it's so great to have Ken. Happy New Year again to you, Ken. Haven't talked to you since last year. (laughs) Yeah, we haven't talked since last year, Jimmy. Happy New Year to you and to all of our listeners around the world. Thank you so very, very much. Ken, there is a report that was put out Europe's new Munich is Iran. It's going back to the Munich Agreement back in World War II when the United Kingdom Prime Minister Chamberlain met with Hitler and Mussolini. They came up with an agreement and said there was going to be no war. Hello, that was totally wrong. But now the European Union and the member states there are really condescending to Iran. They don't quite understand how serious the situation is, do they? Well, the Europeans have always, and when I mean always, I mean for the past 40 years, since the beginning of the Islamic Republic in Iran, they have always put business ahead of national security. They have never agreed with the United States, uh, except very temporarily when the U.S. diplomats were hostage in Tehran in 1979 to 1980, they have never agreed with our appreciation of the threat from Iran. And this despite the fact that the French in particular have suffered numerous Iranian-backed terror strikes on their homeland, as well as having been uh, victims as we were in 1983 when 241 U.S. Marines were killed in Beirut by the Iranians. The French on the same day, the same time, A simultaneous car bomb killed 61 French paratroopers in Beirut. So despite that fact, a history of terrorist attacks in Paris by the Iranians, the French and the Europeans do not see the threat from Iran because they want to do business. Their economies are export-driven. Exports are much more critical to their economy than they are even to the United States. And Iran is a cash cow for them and they want to maintain those markets. It's market-driven. And the only way to get the Europeans to back off from this commercial alliance, this mercantile alliance with Tehran, is to have multilateral sanctions, such as we did between roughly 2007 and 2015. If they're not multilateral sanctions, the Europeans will sell, 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 sell their souls, and sell the rest of us out. And it's been said that if you don't study and understand history, it could repeat itself as a possibility. This could be a repeat of 
the Munich Agreement back in World War II. Very interesting. We'll stay on top of this. Israeli intelligence, Ken, is telling us that Tehran's influence in the region is really growing at a very fast pace, and they're really becoming more of a threat than they've ever been before. Now, this goes along with what we're talking about in the first issue. Uh, that's right, and we've been seeing this for some time. We've been talking about it on this show. The Iranians have firmly established themselves in Iraq, uh, not just territorially with their soldiers on the ground, with the Shiite militias that they've deployed that I Remember a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed in northern Iraq, in Bartella, in the Nineveh Plain, the Christian territory. I interviewed the head of the Shiite militia there, a guy named Wa'el al-Qaddo. He claimed that he had absolutely no support from the Iranians whatsoever, and yet I showed him a picture of Ayatollah Khamenei on a billboard at the entry of the town. He said, well, I guess there might have been some slight contribution by the Iranian consul in Erbil. The Iranians are all over the country. They're trying in Iraq. They are inside the government. They have senior positions in government ministries. They control many of the banks in Iraq. And what the head of military and intelligence in Israel was warning about is that they could use Iraqi territory as a springboard for attacks against Israel. This is something that Israel hasn't seen since 1991 when Saddam Hussein launched his missiles against Israel, 37 missiles against Israel. And there is a, a legitimate concern on the part of the Israelis because Iran has recently transferred missiles to these Shiite militias in Iraq that are capable of reaching Israel. So this is a new threat to Israel. Uh, I happen to believe it's not going to come to fruition because the United States still has enough influence in Iraq, I believe, to prevent it. Should those Shiite militias dare to launch uh, missiles against Israel from Iraqi territory, I think they would pay a very, very high price very quickly. I do believe probably that is the same, Ken. But ironically, an Iranian official has called for the United States and Israel to withdraw from the earth. A bit arrogant, I would say. Uh, it's kind of typical bluster on the part of the Iranians. Uh, look, this was their foreign minister, their chief diplomat, <laughs> using very undiplomatic terms that they constantly call for the wiping out of the state of Israel and of the United States. Last time we were together, Ken, we talked about the fact that President Trump has said he is going to pull out the U.S. troops there in Syria. Looks like he's phasing in the Arab forces into Syria to take uh, on whatever may be going on with Iran and their continual buildup there in Syria after U.S. forces leave. What do we know about that? Well, Jimmy, this is the biggest development this week, okay? This is the most significant thing, in my view, that's happened in that region this week. It still needs to be verified. This is a report coming out from Debka.com. It's an uh, Israeli website that is close to the Israeli military and, and Israeli intelligence, but they are reporting that as the United States phases its troops out of Syria, and there are only like 2,000 troops in Syria, they will be replaced by troops from Egypt and the United Arab Emirates. And the fact that they refer to is that just this past week, Egyptian and Emirati officers were seen touring the U.S. positions and the YPG, the Kurdish positions, 
in Manbij, which is going to be the front line now between ISIS and the opposition, but also between the Kurds and the Turks. This is a significant development. If you have Egypt, which is steadfastly against the Muslim Brotherhood, right, on the ground, militarily present, taking our place, as it were, in Syria, that I think is going to really put a check on the Turkish desire to invade that part of northern Syria, to eradicate the Kurds, and to support the Muslim Brother allies. Uh, So this is a really big event, and it also shows that President Trump gets it. He understands that this part of the world is important for our security, but his point, and he's made it repeatedly, is why should we be the ones on the front lines 6,000 miles away from our homeland? Why shouldn't our allies in the region be playing that front-line role? And that's what he's done here, is to convince the Egyptians and the Emiratis to play that front-line role. Nobody's given the president credit for this yet. When they actually show up, when their troops show up on the ground, I'd like to see how many Democrats give him credit for convincing our allies in the region to step up to the plate and be the ones on the front line. Ken, we cannot have a conversation without bringing Russia into it. Two thoughts coming out of Russia. Russia says they're ready to mediate the talks between the Kurds and the Bashar Assad's regime. But in addition to that, they say that they can pull everything together for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Now, it looks like they say Russia can bring about peace. I've read the Bible that says the opposite. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, good luck on Israel and the Palestinians for the Russians. The United States has been at that one for 40 years. So, uh, <laughs> and you see where, how far we've gotten. So if the Russians want to get into that game, God bless them and good luck. I don't think it's going to work very well. Besides, as you mentioned, a biblical prophecy certainly would indicate that they might just have a different motive behind their actions there. But when it comes to Syria with the Kurds, why not? The Russians clearly have a close relationship with the Syrian regime, of the Assad regime in Syria, and the Kurds have always maintained contact with Moscow. They have had an office in Moscow since the beginning of the conflict in Syria in 2012. So why shouldn't they get involved in trying to mediate some modus vivendi between uh, the Kurds in the north and the Syrian government that gives the Kurds the ability to maintain a semi-autonomous region that they have today and that keeps the Turks out. That is the big thing. Keep the Turks out of Syria. That would be a big plus. It would be a big plus not just for the Kurds, it would be a big plus for the United States of America, and would again show the wisdom of President Trump's policy of putting America first and letting allies or regional partners or even our competitors, as the Russians are our strategic competitors, let them uh, bear the brunt on the front lines, lines and not in, where we don't need to be. That's the voice of Ken Timmerman. He's the man who covers geopolitical activities. And to me, I think he sounds smarter than he did last year. He's on top of everything for us. We so appreciate his insights and input into what we talk about when we talk about current events happening around this world. Ken, thank you so very much. Look forward to a great year together. And thank you for being available today. We'll talk again real soon. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Again, Happy New Year, and uh, look forward to speaking to you next week. God bless. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here in Temporary Studios in San Antonio, Texas. I've had the privilege and opportunity to be with the family, our oldest son Jim and his wife and two daughters, a great time together chatting with them. We're on our way over to Alamo, Texas. There's a Bible conference going on there, Bibleville, and I'm going to be the speaker Sunday through Friday. Love to have you come and join us. If you're in that area, we'd love to invite you personally to come and study the prophetic word of God. What a great way to get the new year underway. 2019, can you believe it? Well, let's bring to these microphones David Dolan. He's the man who covers the Middle East for us. Hey, David, haven't talked to you since last year, buddy. Uh, Great to be able to have a conversation. Donald Trump has asked Prime Minister Netanyahu. Now, we've talked about already Netanyahu is going to early elections in April of this year. Was uh, scheduled for November, I believe, but early elections. And now the president wants the prime minister to make his, the president's peace plan, uh, the centerfold of uh, their campaign issues. Is that going to work with the prime minister or is he going to kind of shy away because of what Trump has been doing, making some very seemingly stupid statements and uh, pulling the troops out of Syria? What are your thoughts? Well, Jimmy, that is what I'm hearing from different sources, that the uh, White House has been consistently and constantly putting pressure on the Netanyahu government to uh, make the coming peace process the center of Netanyahu's campaign. And all Israeli analysts agree that that's the last thing that the prime minister wants to do. A new set of polls this week, Jimmy, showing the left is completely collapsing 
the once great Labor Party will only get about seven or eight seats in the new Knesset, the poll show. C.P. Livni's uh, left-wing party, she left the Likud some time ago, moved to the left. It will maybe not even get in the Knesset. Jimmy, we have new rules. It takes 2% of the vote now for any party to get into the Knesset. That's a higher rate than before, and it means some small parties may disappear. The right is showing very strong polling. Um, The Likud near 30 seats and its allies at least another 30 But, Jimmy, the peace plan is likely to be very unpopular if what we're hearing so far is true. Now, again, nobody has seen it. Uh, Gerald Kirshner has seen it, and uh, Pompeo and the president, and presumably Prime Minister Netanyahu knows what's in it. He's already indicated there are things in there that the public won't like. We've had public statements from um, the U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley, the former U.N. ambassador, and others that Israel will suffer as well as the Palestinians in some ways, as a result of the peace plan, both sides will have to give quite a lot, she's indicating. Well, especially if it doesn't leave Jerusalem entirely in Israeli hands, that will be something Netanyahu no way can support. And even though he has an alliance with President Trump and overall is glad to see him in power, that would be a non-starter and would potentially cost him the election. So we'll have to see what he does, but that pressure we've been hearing has been strong and consistent to make this plan uh, part of the uh, deal. Of course, that means it would have to be uh, revealed, uh, and that hasn't happened yet, so we'll see what happens. But the elections are just in three months now, April 8th. So uh, something's going to give here pretty soon. Well, I hear from the other side of the world that the Russians are wanting to get involved in the peace process, bring resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and they say they can mediate this discussion. Would that leave the United States out? And would Israel ever consider uh, that Russia be involved in the peace process? From what I hear, Jimmy, the Israelis are not opposed to Russia being involved. They recognize the facts on the ground, which is that uh, Vladimir Putin has brought his country and his influence back in a major way into the Middle East by backing Syria in 2015 and continues to play a large role there and in Lebanon and in other areas. So that's just a reality. But, Jimmy, the political alliance between the U.S. and Israel is so prominent and so important to the Israelis that they would certainly not do anything to insult the U.S. directly. Uh, In other words, if the uh, Trump administration was happy enough to have the Russians involved, then the Israelis would go along with that fine. But if the U.S. opposed it, then you, you wouldn't expect to see Israel out on a limb on its own. Although relations are a little strained, and Jimmy, there was some consternation this week over the president's statements on Syria and the pullout there, he said, we're not talking, I'm quoting here, we're not talking about vast wealth in Syria. We're talking about sand and death. I'm getting out, we're getting out. Look, we don't want Syria. And then he said they would look after their Kurdish partners and some other things. But, Jimmy, the issue for the Israelis is not sand or wealth. This is the way that Donald Trump seems to look at things through money and through finance, and that, of course, is his background mainly. It's having those troops as a tripwire, that the Iranians know they're there, even if it's just a couple thousand, that the Russians know they're there, that Iran's allies and Hezbollah know they're there, and therefore the U.S. is in the, on the block, as it were. That's what's important. There's nothing the U.S. is going to get out of Syria. 
that's that's for sure. Is the Americans don't have any natural interest in Syria per se. Neither did we in Kuwait. Neither did we really in Iraq. But it's understood that the Islamic fundamentalism is not going away. It's still very strong in northern Syria and in most of Iraq and really the whole region. And therefore, the, they see this as a as a, a false approach, and they agree still with General Mattis's decision to resign as defense secretary over uh, the pullout. Well, what about this statement that President Trump supposedly said? He was talking about that a pullout of U.S. troops in Syria, and then he said Iran can do whatever they want to there. Has that surfaced in Israel, or do you know anything about it? Well, right. That was also part of the overall statement, and it just seems incredible to the Israelis that he would say that. Obviously, Israel is not going to rest, and uh, the prime minister, and he's backed by all political parties. There's no one uh, on the Israeli political scene that wants to see Iran uh, take over Syria. And uh, we know that Iran is in the process of setting up at least four, some reports say five different Syrian-based militias, These will be Shiite Muslims that are allied with Iran and with Hezbollah, backed by both, but they will be Syrian. So, you know, the Iranians do eventually appear to be intending to leave Syria, but to leave it as a pro-Iranian, anti-Israel country that will continue the jihad holy war against Israel, well, that's a non-starter. And again, Jimmy, the Israelis will just have to take action on their own, but they're feeling a little abandoned, a little let down over this. It's a small move. But it's a very important psychologically, in particular, an important move, and again an indication that the U.S. is going back to the days of Obama, where we were not engaged that much, and therefore a lot of uh, nasty stuff happened, including, of course, the rise of ISIS. All of this that you've just reported to us, David, but in addition to that, the Palestinians have a New Year's resolution. And it's going to be the same one that they've had for about 54 years, destroy Israel. I mean, it looks like they are not going to get off of that resolution. They're set to do it. They'll use violence, whatever they have to do, ultimately to destroy the state of Israel and establish the state of Palestine. That seems a no-brainer. It's going to continue to happen. Well, it is, Jimmy. And again, these people are openly stating all the time, that the destruction, the complete destruction of a country is their goal, is what they're working for. Iran's been stating that since 1979, the Palestinians before that even, and continuing at least a large portion of the Palestinians to do that, and they control a little state in Gaza that they can fight from. So it's a very, very serious situation, a very dark situation. The Prime Minister saying we have to have these elections now to get them out of the way so we can deal with these issues. But Jimmy, again, if some of these issues become part of the election, especially a peace process from the states, that might really cause chaos and havoc. And all of this, Iran watching, Iran enjoying what they're hearing. But, Jimmy, also fresh reports that the situation inside Iran is very, very grave, and that the economic situation in particular is in crisis, and there is still some hope that the regime will fall or at least become so preoccupied with internal problems they can't go on. Let me conclude our conversation with some good news. Uh, The Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, flew into Brazil. He was awarded the highest honor 
uh, by that nation itself with the inauguration of their new president. And by the way, the Brazilian president said a couple of things. First of all, he's going to move the Brazilian embassy to Jerusalem. And then he asked them to blow a shofar at his inauguration. That's good news. It is, Jimmy. Brazil's one of the ten biggest countries in the world, the biggest country in South America, has a lot of influence in Europe as well. So to see Brazil go from what was a very left-wing, anti-Israel government over the years, for the most part, that's what they've had, to a pro-Israel government that would maybe even move the embassy to Jerusalem, that's a wonderful thing. And, of course, that's the reason that the prime minister, in the midst of all this trouble and crisis, took time to fly to Brazil to attend that inauguration. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, is a major region when you think about the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. David, thank you so very much, and we'll have another conversation next week. Lord willing, Jimmy, God bless. Thank you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, John Rood standing by. He's going to give us a European Union update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm in a temporary studio here in San Antonio, Texas. Now, a little bit later this afternoon, we're going over to Alamo, Texas. That's right on the United States-Mexican border. There's a big Bible conference going on. If you're in that listening area, I'd love to have you come. We'll be there all week, Sunday through Friday. It's in the evening, the services, except for Sunday morning. We will have a service at 1030 on Sunday morning. Give you more information about that in just a moment. But right now, we want to welcome in this new year, and I haven't talked to him since last year, John Rood, who's the man who covers the European Union for us. And John, again, a happy new year in the new year, 2019. And we're looking forward to a great time together of broadcasting the information coming out of the European Union. So I might as well get right into that. I sent you a news article, a opinion piece, and the title of it was Europe's New Munich and then a dash Iran. Now what it was referring to, as I understand it, I want you to explain it to me, that Munich agreement back in World War II when uh, Prime Minister Chamberlain left uh, Great Britain and went over to meet with the Nazis there in Munich, and they said, well, there's not going to be any war. Don't worry about it. And, boy, that was the biggest mistake that world leaders made back in World War II in the 40s. That's what it's talking about, and it looks to me like Europe is 
condescending to Iran and not wanting to tell the truth. Am I pretty much on target? Well, of course, the famous saying, and Happy New Year as well, Jimmy, the famous saying is history repeats itself. Europe has taken more of a appeasement attitude towards Iran, and we know, of course, it's basically for self-interest and for uh, financial gain. But uh, there is a parallel here with the Munich Agreement. Actually, 1938 was when the leaders of France and Britain met with Hitler and Mussolini, which your description was perfect, which ended up uh, quite disastrous, very short-sighted, basically came to uh, appeasement for Iran. Uh, Now we see the focus has been on the terrorists in the Middle East, but um, there's actually an extensive history of Iranian terrorism in Europe uh, for decades. And one of the U.S. State Department coordinators came out saying that the Iranian regime actually spends nearly a billion dollars a year to support terrorism. So Europe really needs to uh, come to face with the terms of what's happening and don't want the same disaster to be repeated in its fullness. Actually, John, this looks like it may be repeating itself because of the fact that Iran is not considered, as I look at the issue, in Europe as any type of danger to the world. And the reality is they have weaponry, they have delivery systems that can be delivered to Europe, so Europe had better wake up. Talk to me about this. The European Union has been described as an authoritarian body with a humanitarian face. Now that seems to say they're big bullies, but they look like they're sweet little guys. What are your thoughts? Well, this is coming from the Lisbon Treaty, which actually has very startling clauses included. For example, the member states are not supposed to do anything for their own personal interests, but are only to support and forward the uh, objectives of the Union. So they're actually saying that the European Union has to have precedence over the national sovereignties and the national interests. Well, it's very difficult to get nations on board with such a statement. And they actually don't allow opposition, which is very peculiar. Of course, there's very hearty debates and so forth in other governments of the world. But in Brussels, and of course I spend decades, there's no alternative media view available in Brussels. You will not see any Eurosceptic group represented in normal media channels. And of course, if you go to the United Kingdom you'll have entire newspapers which are dedicated to that. And just taking it one step further, in the same way, you will not find any pro-U.S. news coming out of the European Union from themselves or in Brussels. So it's highly authoritative. We know there's a democratic deficit. That's a real key term. They have done humanitarian giving, and they are actually one of the world's largest donators of humanitarian aid, but it's from this guise of authoritarianism, which the Lisbon Treaty actually uh, is a proponent. It actually, the Lisbon Treaty uses the word responsibility 36 times. 35 of those times are obligations of the member states to the Union. Only one time is it referring to the European Commission. 
John, that Lisbon Treaty is pretty important. I remember right at the time that came out, and they signed it there in Lisbon, Portugal, that uh, Hillary Clinton, I think she was Secretary of State at that time, made this statement this was the most important treaty that the European Union had ever signed, and it really gave them, it gelled uh, these group of nations coming together as one unit. It talked about regions as it related to how they would divide up the European Union, and I, I, if I remember correctly, they talked about ten regions, but at least the Lisbon Treaty, which we've just mentioned, and people haven't heard of it a long time ago when it was signed, it's a pretty tough statement that the European Union has made, is it not? Exactly. The Lisbon Treaty, of course, is a step towards the ultimate goal of political union. So economic union is basically a stepping stone to political union, but this has been what the problem is, is the nations are not going to go for a political union, and so this is where we're beginning to enter this period of European deintegration. Uh, instead of now 50 to 60 years of integration, now we're actually falling apart. Well, we'll have to watch and see what happens. Reporting the political sets the stage for the prophetic. That's why I have John Rood at the broadcast table with me. Uh, speaking of Brussels, you brought that up, and of course we know you were there living about 30 years in the headquarters for the European Union. Now I understand there's a group of European Union rebels who want to lay siege on Brussels. What's that all about? Right. 2019 is a very critical year for the EU. It's going to change its face completely in terms of the European Parliament. The uh, European Parliament elections are May 2019. And you, you must remember, the European Parliament is the only democratically elected EU institution. All the rest is appointed. They don't have legislative powers of any real sense. They're a discussion group. They have a consultant status. But because this is the only democratic elected body institution, it's like the open door. It's like the crack in the door for democracy to come in. When European Union nations are allowed to vote, they almost always come against and vote a no to the EU uh, initiatives. So we have, in May, the European Union is uh, preparing for a, a very startling change where Eurosceptic parties and those that don't want to go with political union are rising to the top. And there are huge groups coming from many nations, France, of course, the United Kingdom, which is planning to be out at that time, Germany, Sweden, Italy, Eastern Europe. It's even in Hungary, they're saying even up to one-third of the European Parliament seats will come to Eurosceptic uh, parties. The most interesting thing that's come now to my attention is that you could actually have a Eurosceptic representative in the European Commission. Now, this has never happened before because each of the 27 nations have their own commissioner. But now, with this growing at such a rate, even the European Union, the Commission, will be affected. This is a big change. The Parliament will never be the same. And will that mean the possibility of some more member states wanting to pull out like Great Britain has? I believe so. I, I believe in long term that is definitely the goal that some of these groups are looking for. 
you know, through these years leading up to Brexit, the groups in, in England, there was a sort of a sparingly initiative, which was, you know, save the pound. But really, the United Kingdom Independence Party and others, they just came out flat out that we must leave the European Union. So uh, many of these groups are not necessarily looking to work within the system. They're actually looking to leave. Technically, there are 28 member states. If the Great Britain Brexit takes place, there will be 27. Maybe they're going to just all pull out except 10. That would work perfectly for Bible prophecy, would it not? Well, I believe so, that the number now, 28, 27, actually, I mean, startling, could go to 35. But we know there will be 10, and the process of decentralization has begun. Yes, it has, and... John and I will stay on top of this story for you because it's a key region of the world, the European Union, major player, infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. John, thank you so much, my good friend. Again, Happy New Year to you, and we hope and pray we'll have a great year interacting with each other as far as the news from the European Union is concerned. Thank you, Jimmy. Happy New Year to all. Well, this last week, a lot of reports about space exploration, and when you talk about that, who do I go to? My broadcast partner has to be my namesake, Dr. Don DeYoung. He's the head of the science department at Grace College in Renona Lake, Indiana, but he is a pretty experienced astronomer as well, has written books on it, travels, speaks on the issue, etc., He has a book. We have it available at our website, prophecytoday.com. Search out my Prophecy Bookstore. You'll find it. It would be a great tool in your study of the heavenlies. And, of course, that's where we see the glory of the Lord, Psalm 19. Don, thank you. I hope you had a great Christmas and Happy New Year to you, my friend. Well, same to you, Jimmy. Good to be here. Thank you, sir. Those two events in outer space, pretty significant. I'm talking about the flyby of the supposedly farthest point out in our universe out there. And uh, they were able to get some information from that. But then China landing a rover on the backside of the moon. Go with me with the NASA's New Horizon Project, Ultima Thula. If that's how you pronounce it, I'm not sure. But explain that, what happened and why it's so key. Well, Ultima Thula is a, a space rock. Maybe we could also call it a, an asteroid. And it is in the outer fringe of the solar system. It's certainly not in deep space, Jimmy. I mean, the nearest nighttime star is thousands of times further away. But this uh, Ultima Thule is beyond uh, the planet Neptune, cold and dark out there. And the first time we've been able to uh, do a flyby with that New Horizon craft and uh, take a close-up picture just to see what um, that object looks like. And it is interesting. Uh, it appears to uh, have a couple of round portions, almost like an incomplete uh, snowman. In fact, they would be consisting, composed of ices, that's various frozen chemicals and dust and rocks, uh, almost like a dirty snowball. They say that's about 6.5 billion kilometers from Earth. I don't know if I've not figured that out how many miles. That's pretty way out there, but you're saying it's just a short hop as it relates to the expanse of space and the stars much farther out in that. 
Well, that's true. It is part of our neighborhood, this object. It uh, circles the sun. It's part of the solar system. The figure you gave amounts to about 4 billion miles. Now, it is a long ways. Even to uh, receive a signal from this New Horizons that far out, it takes about six hours for the uh, signal to travel that distance. I understand that what they did this project for is because they're looking for clues as to how the planetary bodies came into existence. And I think they could have probably read the Bible and found out much quicker how that happened. But they have a thirst for this knowledge to understand how everything came into existence, don't they? Well, certainly. um, This object in the outer fringe of the solar system would be largely, you know, undisturbed through uh, history almost like a museum of the past. And that is always the push, either to find signs of life or to find ideas for a a natural um, origin of of the whole place. From our uh, biblical perspective, I think this object and the pictures that they will be uh, publishing, they do give us a glimpse even of the creation week. God's put just uh, endless variety out there, You know, even over uh, biblical history, the Earth has made thousands of trips around the sun. This object, that far out, takes about 300 years for one orbit. So since creation, let's say 6,000 years ago, this object has only made about 20 trips around the sun. It It is interesting, this glimpse we get of objects that God made back at the beginning. What are these scientists, Don, looking for? What do they expect to find that will give them some kind of a clue? Well, they would try to uh, find the uh, composition for sure of this object and then speculate on how those uh, materials, how those elements could have formed, either from a Big Bang theory and then arrived in our corner of the universe, looking for data, trying to um, show um, origins, how it all came about. As we've seen through the whole history of science, all these origin theories, whether it's the Big Bang or the Nebula Theory, they come and go. They're all temporary. None of them are very satisfying. And uh, yes, uh, biblical creation, the fact that the beginning was supernatural and not that long ago, is so refreshing. It makes good sense. Now tell me about scientists. You're a scientist yourself. I know you because you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believe in the supernatural. Do scientists have any consideration and a possibility of the supernatural being real? Well, Jimmy, something happened in the whole science world uh, actually a couple centuries ago when science was redefined that it has to be naturalistic, nothing supernatural, no spirit world, no angels, no creator, and just became, you know, uh, I've got to see it, you've got to show me, I've got to have evidence. And I think this is where um, science impoverished itself. It almost went off on a tangent, just uh, limiting itself to naturalism. It doesn't have to be that way. And furthermore, when you look at the heritage we have in science, the great men and women, the pioneers from the past, nearly every one of them were godly individuals. They respected their creator, and I believe as a result, he rewarded them with great insights that we are still appreciating. And many of the modern-day scientists do not have that insight that the old guys really, and I don't mean you're an old guy, Don. I didn't mean to insinuate that. But uh, the older scientists, I should say, are, are thinking about. 
Well, I don't believe they're going to bring up anything that the Bible hasn't already told us, do you? Well, certainly not. And let me add that there are a lot of good guys and gals in the science world who are people of faith. They almost walk the line. They have to be careful or they'll lose their position. But there are some good testimonies, but they have to be guarded because, again, science today is kind of in the stronghold of um, the secular world. It certainly is. Well, let's just switch our focus now on China. They landed, I guess you would have to call it a Land Rover on the backside of the moon. Why the backside of the moon, and what was their purpose for going there? Well, I think China was looking for something unique, something different that the U.S. has not done yet. We have certainly had many landers on the front side of the moon, and uh, 12 astronauts walked around there, in fact, but we had not addressed the back. We had circled the moon and taken pictures of it, but we hadn't landed there. We could have. It just was not a priority. China saw this as something uh, novel that they could do, and they did pull it off. And uh, it, it deserves some uh, respect. When you go to the backside of the moon, you are out of contact with the Earth. There's no direct radio signal. And so to land on the, uh, the reverse side of the moon, you have to have a satellite circling the moon, sending signals to the lander. It's rather indirect, and they were able to pull that off. It just kind of shows that uh, Chinese astronomy is still in its infancy, but they're making progress. And that brings up the question, should the United States, should NASA be more involved in space exploration than they have. Now, we were the leader at one time, but if we don't watch out, some people are going to surpass us in this study. And is this key for us understanding? You're a scientist. Speak from that perspective. Is it key that this space exploration continue on? Well, yes. NASA is still a a powerful organization in our uh, country. They're still doing very interesting things, whether it's Ultima Thula or the close-up picture they had of Pluto a couple of years ago. They are certainly not, you know, out of of business. But we do live in a new day where other nations are um, uh, arriving in the whole space age. I'm encouraged by this, Jimmy. When I look at things like the International Space Station, That is one area where Russia and the U.S. have been able to agree with each other and and work together, and that continues to be so in spite of other kinds of tensions. Perhaps when it comes to the moon, that's an area where China and the U.S. can uh, show some uh, agreement together. The moon is big enough for several several nations who get there, and it's so remote and uh, an unfriendly place even to uh, be a part of at the moon. I don't think that it's a a big military area. Uh, I think maybe where there's some commonality here where we can um, learn together. And, of course, from the the biblical view, all data is uh, creation data. We just need to kind of uh, interpret it that way. So we look forward to whatever they can find. Yes, then as Christians, we don't have any problem with them searching, but it really does fit into the significant creative aspects of the Word of God, and so we do not allow science ever to contradict God's Word, do we? Well, that is certainly true, Jimmy. Now, the Chinese, this adventure is kind of interesting. They have some things on board this lander that's uh, now on the reverse side of the moon. They even sent up there some fruit flies. 
So they are interested in in life in space and whether these bugs could somehow survive in some sort of uh, environment they have. So you always have this push for life and the evolution of life, and I would expect that from China. But again, uh, all this data, all space data, shows how unique and special planet Earth provided for us. And there's still things ahead for planet Earth. The prophetic scenario found, for example, even in the book of Revelation, talks about many events unfolding there in outer space and attacks on the Earth and destruction of the Earth, ecological uh, judgment coming. That's all true, and it will be fulfilled as well. Don't you agree? Well, certainly, and including events on the sun losing its heat and the moon turning a, br- a red color in end-time events. Yes, all these objects and the laws are in God's hand, and they'll carry out his will. They're in God's hands, and all will be to fulfill his will. What a statement to conclude on. Great conversation with you today, Don. Thank you so very much for joining us, and we always look forward to a time when we can talk to you. You just are such a a wonderful reservoir of knowledge that we need to know along with God's Word. Thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Jimmy. Till next time. What a conversation with Don DeYoung. I love being able to talk to him about these events unfolding, this time focusing on space exploration in our world today. Well, we're going to bring now Jim Jr. to the broadcast table. Jim has some questions from our listeners we want to try to deal with at this time. So for the first time in 2019, we start answering questions from our listeners. Jim, can you give us the first question? Janelle sends in a question. She says, uh, will the United Nations be the one world government during the Great Tribulation? Janelle, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. I cannot tell you that for sure. I don't know. According to the text, I can't find any place in the Scriptures, the United Nations. I can say this. They are a forerunner, the prerequisite, precursor to what's going to happen during the tribulation period. There will be a international world headquarters, a power base economically, governmentally, and politically in Babylon, the literal city of Babylon, which is located 58 miles out of downtown Baghdad. So that will be a one-world economic, political, governmental system, and it's found there in the book of Revelation, chapter 18. As to whether the United Nations is going to be a part of that, I can't tell you for sure, but I'm absolutely positive that this is a part of the stage setting that is going on across the world. Preparations for all of the Bible prophecies to be fulfilled, written in God's Word as it relates to the ends of time. So uh, keep a focus on what the Word says, and then allow that to be the microscope or the, the spotlight that you put on any other current event or geopolitical activity that may indeed be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Great question, Janelle. Our next question comes from Larry Lee, and he would like to know what is the requirement to be in the catching away that's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18, is the passage of Scripture as it relates uh, to the introduction by Paul to the people in Thessaloniki, a young group of Christians. I say young, I don't know how Oh, they were age-wise, but uh, they were very young in the Lord, three weeks in the Lord, 
Paul had been there on a mission trip, and he led them to the Lord, established a church. Then he sent them a letter, 1 Thessalonians, and explained about the rapture of the church. Now, he's talking to a group of people who had come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. He's talking about giving the procedure of what's going to happen. The souls and the spirits of lost people go to Hades. The souls and spirits of born-again people go into the heavenlies. And now Paul is telling us Jesus Christ will bring those souls and spirits with him, those that have come to know him as Lord and Savior, back to the earth. And then he's going to raise those that have already died, those who would be in Christ. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Three sounds there, the shout by Jesus, uh, the voice of the archangel shouting as well, and the trump of God sounding. And then it says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those who have bodies in graves or someplace scattered across this earth, they will raise first and then join together with their soul and spirit. And then, verse 17, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the answer is the dead in Christ are people who have died before the rapture takes place, and those who are alive and remain, that's us who know Christ the Savior, we will be caught up to be with the Lord in the air forevermore. Thank you, Larry, for that question. And as Dr. DeYoung always says, understanding God's Word is key to understanding the times in which we're living. We're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. DeYoung will be having a conversation with David James, looking into the year of 2019 to see the issues that the body of Christ will be dealing with. That conversation plus our Prophecy Today poll question. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today weekend. We take an hour and a half. I'm glad you're here in the last half hour. That must mean you were with us for the first hour. We need 90 minutes to explain the world to you, talk about current events, and then let you understand how these current events are basically a part of a prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word Thus, these current events would be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. So glad you could join us. We're here at Temporary Studios in San Antonio, Texas. We're going to be leaving here this afternoon, going over to Alamo, Texas. It's right there on the border with Mexico. Bibleville Conference Center is where we're going. They're going to have a Bible conference, a Prophecy Bible Conference this coming week. I start speaking at 10.30 on Sunday morning, and then at 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, we'll have a message of prophetic truth that you need to understand in light of the times in which we're living. Call and find out if you need to know what's going to actually happen there at the Bibleville Conference Center. We do have a poll question. I would love for you to answer it. It's on my homepage. Here's the question this week. As you study the prophetic word of God, do you see trends in our world today 
and into 2019 that seem to be conforming to the prophetic scenario that is found in the Bible. And if these trends are fulfilled, do you believe it will bring about the rapture, which happens prior to the tribulation and the second coming of Christ? That's the poll question. Please answer it if you will. Come to the conference, and if you want to find out how you can join us on any of our trips to the Middle East, Israel, Jordan, Turkey, on over into Rome as well, as we look at the prophetic scenario in God's Word and how it's all prepared in that part of the world. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I have a weekly conversation right here on Prophecy Today. We look at an issue or issues that will confront the body of Christ. We as individual Christians have a lifestyle laid out in God's Word, the pattern for us to walk in each and every day. And David and I bring up some sometimes sticky issues and discuss them. We get reaction from our listeners. We enjoy that interaction with them as they may send us an email or write us a letter or whatever. Well, we're here now to have another discussion, but instead of just one, let me use the plural, discussions on a number of issues, the plural in both of those, as we think about the year 2019. Remember last week we talked about what happened over the last year, 2018. Now we're going to look into the future of 2019, give you some ideas of what we see on the horizon. Let's start off with President Trump and the situation in Washington. David, what do you see that will potentially have an impact on believers, Christians, in 2019 from Washington? Well, as our listeners know, the 116th Congress convened on Thursday, and Nancy Pelosi was sworn in as as the Speaker of the House as the Democrats took majority. And uh, her acceptance speech, I would say, was mainly political throwaway lines. But there were a couple concerning two major issues facing our country. She said this, we will make America fairer by passing the Equality Act to end discrimination against LGBTQ Americans. And then the next sentence, she said, we will make America more American by protecting our patriotic, courageous dreamers. So with the majority of Democrats being social liberals, the line about discrimination about LGBTQ Americans means gridlock at best, but possibly serious trouble for many Christian business owners in 2019 and beyond. And I also would say that it means a changing environment for ministries and schools and their positions need to be in doctrinal statements to try to at least get some protection under the first amendment. And also, this opens the door to homosexuality becoming ever more socially acceptable. Of course, we're we're seeing more commercials and TV shows with homosexuals and transgenders, and more importantly, I would say, openly gay elected government officials across the country. On the second issue of immigration and security on our southern border, I would say I'm finding that there is quite a bit of division among believers about just what to do about it. And while there is very little that most of us can do about the problem, of illegal immigration on a day-to-day basis, I think believers should be ready to take advantage of this changing demographic in many communities across the U.S. because the Latin American mission field is literally coming to us. Dave, another thing which could affect Christians 
is the possibility of the president appointing a third Supreme Court justice, which would be the most since Ronald Reagan, who actually appointed four justices when he was president. That's right. Back on December 24th, the Business Insider website reported that Trump could end up replacing three or even four Supreme Court justices in his first term. They were reporting just after Ruth Bader Ginsburg had spent 72 hours in the hospital after surgery for lung cancer, which was found after she had broken ribs in November. And in October, the news website Axios cited an anonymous source detailing some predictions by Trump that uh, both Ginsburg and Sotomayor could retire during his term. And then there's Justice Breyer, who is 80 years old, and he and Ginsburg were criticized by some in their party for not uh, stepping down when uh, President Obama was still in office. Now, if this happens, this will likely make the debacle with Brett Kavanaugh look like a walk in the park because all three justices I mentioned are social liberals. I would say this, that fortunately, social conservatives still make up the majority in the Senate, and the House has no direct say in the matter, and probably this is why the president campaigned so heavily for Senate candidates going into the November elections. You know, I'm thinking as you're giving me that answer there, David, about First Timothy chapter 2, where it tells us the first thing each and every one of us as Christians should do is to pray for those in higher authority. And it's talking about political leaders. We need to pray so we'll be able to live a quiet, peaceable, godly life and indeed bring other people to Jesus Christ who need eternal life and the salvation that Jesus does offer. So that would be a great point for us. And you've been talking about political activities, Washington, the president, the United States Congress, etc. Lift them up, dear friends, in prayer. The Bible says do this first of all, even before you pray for the missionaries or for the evangelists or for your pastor, whatever. First Timothy chapter 2. Read it first four verses, really key to our discussion today. David, a few days ago, you sent me an article concerning the decline of Christianity in America. Now, what do you think this tells us going into 2019? This article cited a survey that I believe came out late last year, and it broke down the demographics of uh, religion in America according to age groups, and it showed that uh, among those who were 65 and older, white evangelical Protestants made up 26% of the United States demographic, and white mainline Protestants made up 19%, and then it went on to white Catholics, black Protestant, Hispanics, Jewish, and others. And what we note is that while that was true of those 65 and older in the 18 to 29 uh, age bracket, only 8% are white evangelical Protestant. Now, I'm not saying that white has anything to do with it, but the point is that white evangelicals have made up a majority of those in the country for a long time, and so the fact that there's only 8% among those in the younger age group points to the fact that we are 
seeing problems in reaching the younger generation, and it's not just uh, evangelical Protestants who have seen declines. Catholics have also seen declines. Some have remained about the same, for example, black Protestants and, uh, and so on. I would say that we can draw some conclusions going into 2019. The seeker-sensitive movement is now around three decades old, and it hasn't produced the results it expected. Neither has the move away from expository preaching in favor of topical messages. I would say that the shift away from dispensationalism in favor of Reformed theology and evangelical churches hasn't produced positive results in reaching the lost. As believers, we're faced with an increasingly secular culture, and we need to learn how to live out our faith without compromise. Church needs to learn how to more effectively reach the youngest among us, because statistically, over 90% of born-again believers trusted in Christ before age 18. And as I noted earlier, the growing number of Hispanics in our country represents a unique opportunity. And in fact, among Hispanic Protestants, that group and the youngest age group is growing. So there are some opportunities as well. David, we frequently discuss the growing problem of covenant and or replacement theology. Now, could you briefly explain what these are and why they are a concern and also if you see this trend continuing into this new year. Well, covenant theology focuses on the plan of redemption as the unifying theme in Scripture, while dispensationalism focuses on God establishing His kingdom of righteousness. And the covenant view doesn't account for the first two or the last two chapters of the Bible, before the fall and then after the great white throne judgment and the new heaven and the new earth going into eternity future. Covenant theology only holds to one people of God throughout history, whereas dispensationalists see redeemed Israel and the Church as two peoples of God, because uh, God made four unconditional eternal covenants with Israel, so the Church hasn't replaced Israel in God's program, uh, meaning that Christ will return to rule over His kingdom for a thousand years. And uh, this trend in covenant theology will, I'm sure, continue to gain momentum in 2019, with one practical result being that a growing number of individuals, uh, churches, uh, denominations, and ministries, even among evangelicals, will continue to turn their backs on Israel. Israel, seeing it as an illegitimate occupier of a land belonging to the Palestinians. In fact, on Thursday evening, the first Palestinian elected to the House of Representatives, Rashida Tlaib, began calling for impeachment of the president. And I think in light of the president moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem last year, she may find a more sympathetic hearing because of the entire country moving toward an increasingly anti-Israel stance. Wow. So these types of possibilities of trends and issues are looking pretty tough as it relates upcoming in 2019. Well, let's just uh, have one more related question, one final, if you will. Do you see any hopeful signs on the horizon for dispensationalism regaining any ground? In other words, the literal interpretation of God's Word and the way to understand eschatology, the end-time prophetic passages in the Word of God. Actually, I do see some positive things happening. Even though we've lost schools in the move away from dispensationalism, there are still some that are holding the line, and there are also some newer schools that are uh, gaining traction and turning out some uh, traditional dispensational scholars. So that is encouraging going forward. 
I'm also one of the uh, administrators of a Facebook group with a number of younger dispensationalists. If our listeners are interested in joining, they can uh, look for the name Scripturally Speaking Biblical Dispensational Theology on Facebook and uh, request to join if they want to follow the discussion. In fact, on Thursday, a member of the group noted that we can no longer rely just on the oldest uh, Bible teachers among us, of which I guess I would include both of us, or on so many who've already gone on. Also, and also that there is a new generation of younger scholars who are traditional dispensationalists that those of us who are older need to be encouraging and giving opportunities. And uh, finally, as I mentioned actually last year, I contributed five chapters to a book on understanding dispensationalism that's at the printer right now, and it has 25 different authors and is written for the average person. And it'll be coming out in English, of course, and in as many other languages as possible for international distribution. Well, what a great opportunity you had, David, there. I look forward to getting a copy of the book myself, trying to fine-tune my approach to dispensationalism. But I want to tell you, friend, study the Word of God literally. That's how you're going to come out in the end. And it tells us what God's plan for the future is all about. David, have a journey's mercies as you travel. Some good teaching time in the Philippines. I guess next time we talk, you'll be out in the Philippines. Lord willing, we'll uh, catch one another from the other side of the world. Great report from David James. We're going to now have to take a break. And on the other side of the break, I'm going to open up my Bible. We'll take a look at the book as it compares to all the reports from our broadcast partners. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today Weekend for us to take a look at the book. You know, it's great to have these broadcast partners bring us their reports on current events happening around the world that seem to be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, this is a key program, Prophecy Today, if you may have found us for the very first time, that will bring you the information you need on current events that actually are setting the stage for God's prophetic scenario to be fulfilled. If you did not have an opportunity to hear the first part of the broadcast, you'll just join us. You need to listen to the entire broadcast live if you can, but if not, go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and every single Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, you'll be able to get the live feed from our website address. There are stations, radio stations around the United States that carry the broadcast live as well. You can tune in there. But if you're in some other country, you'll have to go to our website. Again, the website address, prophecytoday.com. When you arrive there, if you did not arrive to hear the broadcast live, then you'll have to go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, You can either listen to the individual interviews with my broadcast partners or the entire program. I want you to tell a friend about these reports that we have with our broadcast partners and, in fact, the entire broadcast. It gives you information to know where we are in God's plan for the future. For example, let me remind you of what the broadcast partners had to say, and I'll then give you a prophetic perspective on their reports to me. Ken Timmerman looks at geopolitical activities. He talked about the recent intelligence organization in Israel making a statement that Iran's influence is growing in the Middle East and stretching out towards the European Union as well. For example, Iran, if you read God's Word, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and verse 5, you'll see the word Persia used in that passage. That's really talking about Iran today. Their name was changed way back in 1936. And as you read the scenario there, you're going to find out this alignment of nations that will form an alliance to try to wipe out the Jewish state of Israel is quickly coming together, and Iran is a major player. Read the newspaper. You can see what they're doing. Their influence is increasing in the Middle East, in the European Union. And by the way, the European Union does not seem to be concerned. They're more concerned about their economic power base and having Iran help them with building their economies. Well, there has been mentioned the Munich Agreement, which was signed between Adolf Hitler, Mussolini, and the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Chamberlain, back in the 40s at the time of World War II. They said there would not be any war come about. Well, go back and read history. There was a major war, World War II, and they forgot that agreement that they had signed there in Munich. You need to understand what God's Word is saying. It's absolute. Current events most likely are setting the stage, but you don't get your prophetic truth from current events. You get it from God's Word. David Dolan covers the Middle East for us. He talked about President Trump 
asking Prime Minister Netanyahu to use his peace plan during his campaign, the early elections in Israel, April of this next year, will be the time when they elect the next prime minister. Right now, the polls are indicating that it would be a runaway election for the prime minister. His party would have a a number of members of Knesset to elect him as the prime minister. But that's key because what the leader, the political leader of Israel does and decides and directs in, in his leading of the nation, would be very important as we see God's plan unfolding in that key region of the world. John Rood gave us a European Union update. European Union is another location, a region that is key to the end times, and that would be, of course, because the European Union is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. We talked about with John the confusion in the European Union, the Brexit, the other considerations, the Lisbon Treaty. These are key components of gelling the 10 nations or 10 regions together, which will become the revived Roman Empire. Don DeYoung gave us a report on space exploration. We talked about Ultimatula and its flyby of what they say is the farthest out in space that ever man has been able to send some type of a vehicle, and they're looking for clues as to understand the origin of the universe. Well, God's Word lays that all out. Don brought that to our attention as well. Even the fact that China landed on the backside of the moon, and that was a key operation, a very difficult type of operation. But remember, outer space is also a part of what's going to happen in the tribulation period when you look at all the ecological problems, especially in the trumpet judgments and the vile judgments. The trumpet judgments in the book of Revelation, chapters 8, 9, and 11, the vile judgments in Revelation chapter 16. And then with David James, we looked at issues on the horizon in 2019. These trends, you must listen to them. Make sure you can hear what David had to say because this is what we're going to see in the future of 2019. We need to be prepared because this is how we then should live out our lifestyle, conforming to the image of Christ and his plan for the end time. You need to listen to the entire broadcast live if you can, but if not, go to our website, prophecytoday.com. At 1 p.m. Eastern Time, you can either listen to the individual interviews with my broadcast partners or the entire program. It gives you information to know where we are in God's plan for the future. I can tell you this much. As we look at all the events covered by my broadcast partners, it's absolute tangible evidence that it's leading up to the next event, the rapture of the church. That'll be the time when Jesus will shout, the archangel will shout, the trump of God will sound, and you and I, who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will be caught up into the heavenlies to be with him forevermore. Now that's called the rapture. And that rapture, could actually happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until...
Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.